0: Hello and welcome to night number 31, that's right, we made it to night 31, of 31 Nights of Frights, year 3, the franchise. My name is Adam, and I'll be your host. So as you can tell, I'm a little excited on this one, mostly because I made it through three seasons of 31 Nights of Frights. That is 93 episodes, which is insane to me. It's hard to believe that I have that many going, but I don't want to talk too much here at the intro So we're gonna do things a little bit different with this one There were remakes of both franchises Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street These were met with a lot of critical and fan Disapproval so I'm going to be exploring both of these in a double episode here so we're doing both films At the end of this episode, I'm going to also give my take on what I think was the better of the two reboots from Platinum Dunes, uh, Paramount, and New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers. I will also be introducing each episode separately. So, so here we go. First up is the one that actually came first, starring Jared Paladecki, Danielle Panabaker, And Derek Mears as Jason Voorhees. This is the 2009 Marcus Nispel directed Friday the 13th. This one starts off with a reshot intro to the ending of the original Friday the 13th film. The way it's intercut with the opening credits I think was well done. The actual opening of the movie is a somewhat fun introduction that really checks all the boxes of things included in a Friday the 13th film. We have pot, we have college age kids, we have some nudity and sex. The plot of this introduction are those college kids looking for a mythical pot field somehow in the woods of New Jersey, or at least I think Crystal Lake is still supposed to be in New Jersey. I'll talk about that a little bit later. We get some kills at the very start of this. And this is all before the actual title screen. It's almost, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes before the title screen actually shows Friday the 13th. All in all, it really wasn't a bad way to start the movie. Even if it is a little odd how Jason is now setting traps for people. The actual plot of this one is a brother searching for his sister who was involved in the actual intro to the movie. Of course, she is more than likely dead, but he's not giving up hope. We're also introduced to a douchebag bringing his college friends up to his family's lakefront property for the weekend. Of course, we all know why they're actually put there in this film. They're going to be the victims of Jason Voorhees. I think this film is actually interesting overall. It's interesting because it does change the character of Jason Voorhees, which I will get to in a little bit. But it also has a plot point of Friday the 13th Part 4 with a brother looking for his sister. The movie itself isn't really interesting. It's nice and clean as far as the way it's shot and looks great on a cinematography level. But that really shouldn't come as too much of a surprise since this was produced by Platinum Dunes. Platinum Dunes, before doing this one, worked on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, and also its sequel, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning. Both of those films didn't really fit within the Texas Chainsaw Massacre look, if that makes sense. This one is no different. It doesn't really fit in with the look of the original Friday the 13th films. I guess that's okay because this is a reboot but the actual Crystal Lake looks better than ever it also doesn't even come close to looking like the original Crystal Lake or even the surrounding area of Crystal Lake the strangest thing about this movie is that it's not a remake of the original Friday the 13th but instead this goes the Halloween h2o or Halloween 18 route of forget all the sequels that came before This is the true Friday the 13th Part 2, so it's not an actual reboot, but a redone sequel, a new continuity sequel. The biggest tip off that this is an actual sequel to the original Friday the 13th is that Jason himself, the first time we see him, he's sackhead Jason. He's got his head in a sack, just like the original Friday the 13th Part 2. We're also treated to another nice little nod to Friday the 13th Part 2. That's with Pamela Voorhees' head. Jason has a shrine devoted to his mother and her head, who of course tells Jason to kill people. This does attempt to clear up the debate of whether Jason actually drowned in Crystal Lake. We see at the very intro of the movie, we see Jason actually there in the woods that witnessed his mom getting decapitated He also proceeds to pick up the machete, which is his weapon of choice. They tried to provide that backstory. I guess it works. It's fine with what they did. Overall, including that wasn't really too offensive to me. The biggest complaint I have with the movie is that I'm trying to figure out where this actually takes place. Crystal Lake is a fictional lake in New Jersey. Of course, the lake really exists. I forget what the actual name of the real place is, but I'm really trying to figure out why the characters the backwoods residents of this area have southern accents it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me if this is really supposed to take place up north why do they have southern accents in reality it almost feels like it takes place in the same world as marcus nispel and platinum dunes texas chainsaw massacre films of course the residents of Friday the 13th part 5 didn't have the correct accents either. We had New York and Southern accents in that one, so who knows, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe I'm the only one that's actually concerned about this. The movie really wastes no time showing Jason without the sack on his head, and also how he obtains the hockey mask. By the way, I actually think that Derek Mears makes a fine Jason. It's obvious that he is inspired by Kane Hodder's performance, but it's just strange to see Jason use various things to kill the unfortunate college kids. That's a bow and arrow. He even burned somebody alive with setting a trap. We even see Jason kidnap somebody. This really is backwoods survivalist Jason Voorhees. I heard some criticism that people said that Jason is an angry pot farmer and that he's guarding the pot that's growing wild in the woods. I don't know if I quite agree with that, but it's a reasonable assumption. Maybe he's growing the pot to attract kids to this mythical wild pot growing in the woods. I don't know. I think my biggest complaint is the fact that they changed the Jason Voorhees character Maybe they changed it for the better and tried to give him a little bit more of a realistic approach. This is actual human Jason Voorhees. It's not zombie ghost Jason Voorhees that we saw in the other films. I guess the changes that they made to the character work for the movie that's presented. The movie that's presented though is not really all that entertaining. It's alright. It's not bad. It's not good either. I would prefer to watch the original Friday the 13th films because they knew what they were. Maybe some of the cheese nowadays is only because it's a product of its time. I just don't know if the more realistic approach here works. The actual look of the movie is too smooth. We don't really see a lot of the kills. We do see them. But it's not as brutal as what I thought it would have been for a modern day take on the slasher movie. As I said earlier, we do have all the checkboxes really checked off. We get Jason, we get the college kids, we get the nudity, sex, and the fact that they're doing drugs. It really fits everything to a T. I just think this one has a presentation problem. I think I should get to the kill rundown on this one. So, we have someone pinned down and strapped to a tree, burned alive in a sleeping bag, pulled through the floor, and either stabbed or poked to death, machete through the head, slash throat with machete, arrow through the head, stabbed with a machete through a boat dock straight into a head, screwdriver pushed up through the neck, axe through the back which becomes an axe through the chest, impaled on a towel hook, poker through the eye, Machete through the chest, machete through the chest, again. So if a lot of those kills sound samey, I think that's one of the problems with it, is that they don't go enough into making the kills inventive. I feel the original Jason Voorhees had some more inventive kills overall. These are not really fun, they're actually kind of bland. That brings me to the actual ending point of the film. This movie tries hard to emulate the jump-scare ending of the original Friday the 13th. It doesn't work. At least it does right the wrong of not going further after the jump-scare. It's just that it seems to imply that this is going to now, if they would have made a sequel, this would be now, moving forward, the undead monster Jason. Overall this one's not bad. It's just not the movie that I hoped it would be Back when I saw it in 2009, I was kind of mixed and in the middle on this one It turns out I still feel the same way about it to this day So there we have it the first remake of Friday the 13th So we'll be moving on to the second movie here on our 31 nights of frights double feature Starring Rooney Mara, Kyle Gallner, Thomas Decker, Connie Britton, and Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger. This is the 2010 Samuel Bayer directed A Nightmare on Elm Street. Normally this is where I would give a plot or at least some plot points. I don't really need to give that on this film because it actually is so close to the Wes Craven original. There are some different story beats that the story actually takes. But for the most part, this one is the exact same movie as Wes Craven's original film. In case you don't know by now, Child Murderer, and in this one they actually changed the character of Freddy Krueger. But anyway, Child Murderer Freddy Krueger is put to death by a local town mob who's outraged that he did not get what was actually coming to him. The townspeople go and set him on fire and sure enough, Freddy Krueger, or Fred Krueger as the locals know him, comes back to haunt the dreams of the town's teenagers. This take on A Nightmare on Elm Street keeps the tradition of having the movie open with a dream. Honestly, the opening titles were pretty stylish. That goes into a scene that features a seemingly self-inflicted throat slit Even more impressive is the lighting change from Awake to Nightmare. That is one good thing that this movie has going for it. It's able to go in and out of the nightmare slash reality with various lighting changes. I would also assume that CGI has a big part in this as well. So that's definitely the positive that this movie has going for it. Dream sequences are top notch. They look fantastic here. They also look like they would fit right in with the original film, in my opinion. Or maybe would fit in with probably the later A Nightmare on Elm Street films that actually have a little bit more elaborate dream sequences than the first film. The Nightmare sequences overall are really well done. Aesthetically, they do look fantastic. The whole movie actually looks great from a look standpoint. They really nailed the look of what a Nightmare on Elm Street film should look like. Where the Platinum Dunes Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the 13th got the look wrong or didn't really resemble what the originals looked like, this one actually gets that right. So I do have to give credit where credit is due. Director Samuel Bayer and Platinum Dunes, they really did deliver here on that. Should we talk about the most controversial thing in this movie? Platinum Dunes, as you know, has a history of not getting the look of their characters correct. If you look at what they did with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films, then you would know that this here was their first misstep as far as the look of a iconic character. I'm going to say that Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger, he's actually good. He does a good job of making the character his own. He does a very different Freddy Krueger. I think Robert Englund is definitely better. But the performance on display here, he really gives Freddy the sinister edge. More sinister than any other Freddy Krueger, in my opinion, as far as attitude. The worst part about it is the look. The look of Freddy Krueger here. I know they were going for a more realistic more this is what a burn victim would actually look like I completely understand and get this what I don't like is that it's a big deviation from what the original makeup was yes they're going for a different look here cool that's awesome the worst part about it is fans reacted negatively when they released the first trailer and the first still picture of Freddy Krueger in this new version. So they went and tried to fix it in post. They tried to actually augment it with CGI to try to split the difference. They did go and make him look, I guess, closer to what the original Freddy Krueger makeup was. You can definitely tell that this has been CGI augmented. It's noticeable in almost every shot that he's in that they tinkered with the makeup and face in post. It doesn't necessarily ruin Jackie Earl Haley's performance, but what it does is ruin the character on display here. That's actually a big misstep for this movie. A prime example of this is that he looks different in almost every scene. It's never 100% consistent. If you look at stills at what Jackie Earl Haley looked like in the film, it looks okay. But in the movie when you actually see this with the CGI whatever it is on his face, it looks awful. It reminds me of what was done later to Justice League with Henry Cavill trying to remove the mustache and completely replacing the bottom part of his film. In this, they tried to actually change the entire look of his face. It's also super interesting to me that they went with Jackie Earl Haley. He's a super capable actor. And I had no doubts that he would actually be good in the role, which he is pretty good here. It's just fascinating that they chose somebody that's the opposite of Robert England. Robert England only stands, I don't know, 5'10. Jackie Earl Haley is barely 5'6. It may just be the way the movie was shot, but I really feel that Robert England's Freddy really looked, I guess, tall and lanky where jackie earl haley's freddie doesn't look all that tall at all they probably should have actually sought an actor that was a little bit taller and fit the role a little bit more i am happy with the choice of jackie earl haley i'm just saying that it's strange that they went with somebody that's significantly smaller than what robert england was i was complaining about the cgi on jackie earl haley's face CGI is rampant in this film, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. It actually ages a movie more than practical effects ever could hope to. A big notice of CGI early on in the movie is the scene with Nancy in her bedroom when you see Freddy coming through the wall. It was done with a practical effect in the original, obviously, and it looks far more believable than what they presented here. I think they wanted to put this in here just as a little nice nod to the original scene, but honestly it looks like crap to me. One thing I did forget to mention was how they changed the character of Freddy. Freddy Krueger in the original series and films, you always got the idea that there may have been more to it, that he wasn't necessarily just a child murderer. You may have thought that it was a little more than that. I think Freddy versus Jason kind of hinted at it a little bit more. In this one, They actually made Freddy a pedophile. So instead of actually murdering the kids, he was molesting the children instead, taking pictures and all kinds of things. I don't think really either one is worse than the other. I think they're both equally terrible personally. It's just weird that they actually changed it because it made you questioning it throughout the movie. Was he actually just killed by an angry mob who had suspicions or did he actually do it? It's of no surprise, really, that he actually did it, because it makes us less sympathetic at that point to the character of Freddy Krueger. If he would have truly been a guy that did nothing, then we would have sympathized with him. But instead, they made him into a monster, and that's exactly what we would want it to be, because we would want to not root for the villain in this movie. The flashback scene of when we do see the angry mob of parents It's handled well, I just do not really like that we actually had to see him remove his jacket when he's burning alive and see that he had the Freddy Krueger sweater underneath. It's a little too on the nose as far as the reference and it doesn't really feel like a payoff. I guess some people are surprised like, oh he's wearing the sweater. I never thought that when I saw it back in 2010. I didn't think that when I saw it now. I think quite possibly this changing character for Freddy Krueger is just to say that it was different. I know Wes Craven originally intended that to be what Freddy was, was a child molester, but he changed it later to child murderer. If changing the character is simply the reason of why this remake exists, it's not a strong enough reason. The rest of the story, no matter how much they change, still has a been-there-done-that type of feeling to it, So sadly this makes it one of the many remakes where it just ultimately feels pointless and will make you wondering what was the point. The point was not to necessarily bring it back to the audience, the point was to simply make it for money. This is a huge reason of why I'm against any kind of remakes and reboots. If we're going to do something in that nature, we need to have it within the same continuity of the original films. That's the only way it really works for me, because we're expanding on the original story. We're giving the audience something different and still honoring what came before. There is one standout in this film. I know I got into a little tangent there of my dislike of remakes of films, but there is one awesome scene and that's where Nancy is going in and out of being awake and dreaming. She doesn't know that she's really in between both, And I love how the lighting changes in between each of these cuts. It's done super well, and I wish they would have had more scenes like that. For a movie that relies on a lot of nightmare and dream sequences, we don't really get a whole bunch of that. We get a more expansion on the Freddy character, if anything. We also get a little bit more teenage drama between the kids. That scene in the supermarket with Nancy is easily the best scene in the movie in my opinion. We do get a jump scare similar to the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Similar to how it's a surprise and jump scare. It looks better here I think even with the CGI gore. The original of course you can tell it's like a blow-up doll that's being pulled through the window in the door. Honestly it's kind of laughable. Here with the way that they did it I'm okay with it. We get Freddy Krueger poking his knives through Nancy's mom through her eyes, and then he pulls her through the mirror. In all honesty, it's not bad. So overall, this is an okay film. It's not nearly as bad as what people made it out to be. It mostly came from angry fans, and understandably so. So in getting down to it, of which one I think was better than the other, I think the Friday the 13th from 2009 from Platinum Dunes is a much better film. It's not as entertaining, I guess, as what A Nightmare on Elm Street may be, but it's a better movie overall. It doesn't do what the original did with being a straight-up retread. I really wanted to like the Platinum Dunes remakes here. I took notice they kind of stopped making them now, And I guess it's because of bad critical and fan reaction to both films. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I know they were a little light on that one. They didn't hate it nearly as much. Maybe because it was actually different, felt okay-ish overall. But I really gotta be honest here, these movies are forgettable. I saw them back in 2009 and 2010, and I kind of wiped them from memory. For good reason. These movies are forgettable. There's not a whole lot of good about them that really makes you think, oh yeah, I remember that this one had this or that in it. No, they're just simply movies that exist and us as fans, we deserved better. I say the Friday the 13th is definitely better if you must watch one or the other. Maybe you want to watch one or the other because you're curious to see how good or bad they actually are. Well, they're not great, I can tell you that much. Overall, I cannot really recommend one of these films. So that does it. That'll be the end of 31 Nights of Frights, year three. We went through four different franchises, and it's another 31 episodes, so I hope everybody out there enjoyed it. I myself enjoyed revisiting all of these. It was a blast. I made my girlfriend, Nicole, I made her watch them with me this year. If I was to pick one or the other, as far as the two franchises overall between Friday the 13th or A Nightmare on Elm Street, I would probably pick Friday the 13th as far as a pure entertainment standpoint. The movies definitely knew what they were, However, if you're looking for a slasher-esque type of film that has a little bit more meat to it, then obviously A Nightmare on Elm Street totally wins this one. It's tough to actually pick between the two because they are so iconic. Honestly, between the two of Hellraiser and Candyman, that one's truly a toss-up. They're all varying in quality with their sequels. Candyman is most likely the one that comes out on top here because it only had one awful entry. But we also have a lot less films. So it's tough to actually say that one is better than the other. Specifically that I would say Pinhead and the Candyman himself are almost in the same league with the way they're portrayed on screen. Obviously they have different backstories, but both characters there have a lot more power to them than what Jason or Freddy would have. Either way, this is it. This is going to end the 31 Nights of Frights for this year. We all know that 2020 has been a shit show. Between all the politics and everything that's going on, then we have COVID. We have the murder of George Floyd. There's so much that happened in 2020 that really shows us no we're not okay overall but hopefully this provide a little bit of some escape overall and that's what I kind of go for with every episode that I do whether it's 31 Nights of Frights or Adam analyzes maybe it's something you can listen to on your way to work or coming back from work or you just want to relax and Just shut your brain off and just listen to something. Have some background noise that might make you think a little bit. I truly do hope that I enrich your life in some way for the better. This is ending with my usual thank yous. I want to thank both my parents who are no longer here. They gave me the love of horror films and allowed me to watch them at a very young age. Probably too young. But it no doubt solidified my enjoyment of them in my adult life. I will forever be a fan of the horror genre, and it's never going to stop. The other person I'd like to thank is my girlfriend, Nicole. She's stood with me through everything, continues to support my podcast endeavors and various life endeavors, and by default, I do the same for her, so it's truly a partnership i can't imagine anything different or with nobody that i'd rather be with to be my partner in crime here in this thing that we call life so thank you and i love you the next one is an influence on me and one of the inspirations behind this podcast here 31 nights of frights and adam analyzes that's joe bob briggs as far as his commentary on films Having grown up watching Monster Vision on TNT, and before that, I even saw some of his movie network stuff, and I had no idea who this guy was talking in a movie that I wanted to watch. But later in life, here, I watch The Last Drive-In on Shudder. He still critiques these horror films. I know that I'm not nearly as good as what he does, as far as his stories that he has and everything about them. However, It's a definite inspiration and I tried to really channel that a little bit this year as far as having my kill rundowns on Friday the 13th. The final thank you here goes to Will from In Our Honest Opinion because he's been a cheerleader for me. He pushed me into this thing when I didn't want to do it, but I was having a lot of bad things going wrong in my life. When I recorded the first episode of 31 Nights of Frights, which later became Adam Analyzes. Of course, if you guys are listening to this for the third year, you probably have heard this story, especially if you listen to both of my shows here. But then again, you probably also heard about how important my mom and dad were and still are to me to this day and how important Nicole is to me as well. So everybody here. Thank you, and thanks to Joe Bob for the influence. It's much appreciated. That means it's time to close out this episode. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam underscore Analyzes. If you don't do the whole social media thing, drop me an email at adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. You can catch up on past episodes at adamanalyzes.com. Also, if you do have a free moment, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave me a 5-star rating at the listening platform of your choice. It'll allow me to create new episodes as well as reach new listeners. But with that being said, happy Halloween, be kind, and good night. I'll see you next year on Season 4 of 31 Nights of Frights, and I'll actually see you a little bit later... This week on Friday for Adam Analyzes. Thank you so much for listening.